Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Uh, I want to add my voice of welcome. I know Pastor John has welcomed you, uh, but I want to do that as well, and I am so glad you're here on this day. Um, last week when I was speaking, we're in this series now where we're looking at God's amazing promises. We talked about last week how there's over 8,000 promises of God that are found in Scripture, that God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God, and we're just going to take a chunk of time here in this spring season, winter and spring season, to look at some of those promises to remind ourselves of the promises that God has for His people in Scripture. Today, we're going to be talking about the promises that that God has given us about heaven, about heaven. Heaven is a talked about subject. Uh, I mentioned last week that uh, two weeks ago, my uncle, one of my uncles passed away, and so I I found myself uh, having, uh, they, they gave me the honor, the, my, my cousins requested that I would, uh, would officiate the funeral, that I would uh, preach at his funeral, and, and so that was an honor to be able to do that. And uh, They live in Sykeston, Missouri, so I found myself going across 60 Highway. I can tell you, back in my youth minister days, for whatever reason, uh, we did a lot of adventure stuff in youth ministry, and so I found myself taking 60 quite a bit to go into the Mountain View area and, and go up there. And there was a bunch of different outfitters where I could uh, take kids to go camping, go canoeing, uh, do some adventure recreation stuff, some mountain stuff uh, in that area. So when I was a youth minister, I found myself going that direction, usually about every three or four months. Uh, in 15 years, I haven't been through that area, that part of Missouri uh, since since then. I haven't taken too many to, you know, our senior department, uh, you know, by senior, I mean our 70 plus department, they not to be requested to go spelunking, you know, not to be requested to go mountain, uh, mountain hiking or go mountain climbing. So we just don't do that. Right. Uh, but but went through that community and uh, went through that part of the state. And of course, we uh, we 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 did the, the I, I performed the ceremony. I, I, I officiated my uncle's funeral. Uh, and very quickly got out of my suit, got into some sweatpants, and bam, back on the road, headed back to Springfield, Missouri on the same day. And, and it, you know, it occurred to me during that time as I had a lot of windshield time that I was able to think a great deal throughout the day about life and death, about eternity, about what life would look like for me after I leave planet Earth. And one of the thoughts I had during that time was it occurred to me that few of us spend very much time thinking about eternity, unless we're forced to because of life events, right? Like for me, uh, that day, if it was a normal day, I probably would not be thinking a great deal about what life would look like after I pass from this mortal coil. Uh, but, but because funeral was on the front of my mind, my uncle's funeral, I find myself, I found myself thinking a great deal about what it would look like uh, one day when I'm in, when my body is in the casket. Uh, I, I had a, a aha moment as I was standing there. You know, I'm, I am, I'm old school in that one of the things I was trained in 
uh, when, when, when you're doing a funeral is back in the day. Now, there's very few ministers that do this today, but back in the day, it was thought that the pastor was to never leave the body until, until the burial, until uh, the pastor does not leave the side of the casket. Now, back in the day, 150 years ago, when there would be a wake that would last three days long, that's a pretty tough task for a minister to be standing there in the parlor of someone's house for three days. But you know what? Many of them did it. Uh, I still maintain that as best I could. So there I was standing by my uncle's casket as people, many of them strangers, were walking by and, and uh, had a moment where it's just, just one of those aha moments that came very clear to my mind that my cousins, two, two of my cousins that I grew up with, they were standing over their father and uh, weeping, and they were saying goodbye to his body right then. And I just had this moment fast forward whatever, you know, 25, 35, 45, 55 years, whatever it is, uh, that one day my son will be standing over my body saying goodbye to me as well. And when you have that moment hit you, you know, things get very real very quick, don't they? And you start thinking about eternity. And, and, you're, and, and so I found myself forced to be thinking about what does life look like on the other side of mortality, the other side of life on planet Earth. And I realized that, that many Americans, we have ideas about heaven, but, but they're oftentimes opinions, aren't they? They're oftentimes just hopes and dreams. I was reading about uh, a statistic that was taken recently in Gallup, a couple, and by recently, I'm probably within the last five years, and it said, Gallup said that 80% of Americans, despite, uh, despite all of the progressive agenda of trying to secularize America, that still 80% of Americans believe there is a heaven that waits for humanity after life on planet Earth. Uh, this same poll said that 70% of the respondents believe that they were going to heaven. Uh, 30% of the respondents said they definitely knew someone that was not going to be in heaven. Uh, my question to them were, how many of those people were bosses or in-laws? Uh, I, I had a feeling that there was a lot of those segments of population represented there. Also, was, as I was looking at this poll, was discovering there's a whole classification of people out there that it, there's so many of these people that they actually have a title for them. They're called NDAs. What is an NDA? An uh, NDA is short for a near-death account. Of course, many of us are aware of that movie that came out a few years ago, Heaven is for Real, about a little boy who has an accident. He finds himself in the hospital and be, being operated on. And as he comes out of that surgery, he shares about how he could see that his spirit was above his body. And, and, uh, and, and everyone just kind of blew that off as a child's imagination. But in the next days and weeks and months, the, this boy was... was describing and telling things about where his dad was at the time of that surgery, where his mom was and what she was doing on the phone, talking to the grandmother, even knew things that no one knew, that there was no way that he knew, such as that he had an older sister. Uh, a la uh, the, the mother had a baby that, that died before she could give birth. And this 
sister is waiting in heaven to meet her mom and dad and, and was able to give incredible detail that made a lot of people take note. Now, you and I could still say, well, you know, it's a child's imagination, it's a child's fancy, but, but it was interesting that along as I was looking at these NDAs and seeing how there's just a huge level, this is not just a little boy telling the story, but there's, there's many examples uh, within our culture of NDAs. One of them, uh, several years ago, in, I believe it was Life Magazine, let me check, nope, Newsweek. In Newsweek Magazine, there was an article they wrote and published titled, entitled, Heaven is Real, a Doctor's Experience. And uh, this specific doctor was a neurosurgeon who had an accident, a car accident, and he actually found himself spending minutes uh, that he had moments uh, that he was, he was dead. He was dead on a table. Uh, they had his heartbeat and his brain function had ceased for some moments. And during that time, he records of his experience going into heaven uh, and having a time with God. And he re- relates that and shares that story. It made a profound impact on life. Now, we can debate these, and in all honesty, some NDAs are helpful and give us insight, such as the two I've mentioned, but there's other cases where people will share stories about what life outside of, of this mortal coil looks like, and they're not so helpful. I remember there was a, when I was a young man, uh, just started youth ministry, a lady wrote a book called Embraced by the Light, and uh, in this in this tale she weaved, she talked about having a time where she too was dead and gone, and she was in heaven. And she, through her story of her experience being in heaven, she was able to share every new age thought, uh, every idea of reincarnation and karma. Every, you know, you're like, okay, are you, are you representing the Christian faith here? Or are you representing Buddhism and Hinduism? Because that was more in line there. And so I can tell you that there was a whole season of time that uh, we had to deal with just erroneous thoughts about what heaven looked like because of some of these other reports of NDAs, because, uh, you know, some other people's experiences that, for whatever reason, uh, you know, those experiences are not, are not helpful for us. You know, at the end of the day, all of these NDAs are just that, they're experiences. And, and we have to take all of them with a grain of salt. And so as we look at what does heaven look like, what is heaven, the best thing we can do is go to solid, detailed information given by someone who keenly is, is keenly aware of the realities of heaven. So if we were to talk to any of us in this room or anyone on this planet, the best we could come up with were people that would just have opinions, right? Opinions about heaven. The only good place that we can really travel to would be a person who's actually lived in heaven, who's been to heaven, who came to earth, who went back to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. And so there, he makes some very, very deep promises to us. And, and so for some of the best promises on heaven, I invite you, if you have a copy of Scripture, to turn to John chapter 14, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture here where John, where John shares with us about a conversation that Jesus has towards the end of his ministry, right before he is taken, he is brought into the garden, and he is praying with his disciples, and he is ultimately arrested and begins that process of the crucifixion experience. John chapter 14, verse 1 says this. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you uh, that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 1 we see here, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is speaking to the disciples at this time. And they're in a sad place in life. They're in a tragic place in life. We have spent, it seems like, a lot of time over the last month or two looking at and thinking about that, that, those last moments that Jesus had with his disciples, specifically in the, in the upper room as they're taking that last, having that last celebration of Passover. And we've preached a great deal about that, so I don't need to to rehash that for you, other than just to remind you that this was a super heavy moment. You know, the disciples were revealed that, that what they thought this movement was going to lead them to power and to authority and to a position of, of experiencing Israel's greatness with a new Messiah or with the, this Messiah coming in. They, they thought this was going to be a great time, a historical time, and they were going to be at the center of it. And then just a matter of a few weeks or months, they discover that they are, they are going to be arrested, or many of them could potentially be arrested for sedition. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be murdered. I'm going to be killed. Uh, people are going to hate you because of my name. I mean, this is a, a moment of clarity that we're seeing before, before 14 verse 1, as Jesus is just sharing to his disciples saying, look, what's about to happen is going to be really bad. I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be in prison. I'm going to be murdered. Uh, because I am who I am. And, and, and during that time, you're going to run away from me. I'm not going to have a friend around. I mean, what a heavy time, a sad place. And what does Jesus say? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. Believe in me. Believe that even though I'm saying these things, I still have your back. I am still who I say I am. And he continues on in verse 2, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am would I if would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? What can we see here? We can see first of all the promise from what Jesus is saying, heaven is a real place. Know that. See, there's some that would want to tell us that heaven, yeah, it's real, it's a state of mind, and people could live in heaven right now in this very moment. You've Heard preachers say that, I'm sure. Uh, and you know, that's a correct statement, that there is a certain sense that with our mind and with our attitude, we can experience a little bit of heaven here on earth. But friend, do not be fooled. Do not be uh, led astray. Heaven is more than a state of mind. Heaven is a physical place. I am assured of that. It's very interesting. You know, words matter. Words matter. When we deal with one another, words matter. When we open up the scripture, Words matter, and it was very clear that Jesus could have given us a sense of, of trying to develop a positive outlook, having a positive vibes, having a, a, a good self-image and a good image of people around, but, but he used a word when he's talking about 
this place called heaven, and he said, he said, he used the word topos, which is a very important word. Topos is where we get our word topography from, and it literally is speaking of a literal space or place that you could put a pin on a map and say, there it is. And when he is describing heaven, he's using not a word to describe a state of mind or a philosophy or a viewpoint, but he uses the word topos, Jesus does. And say, you could, you, this is a literal place, and all believers are gathered there now. You know, uh, I have comfort. Like when I was at my, my uncle's funeral, I have comfort found in Paul, as Paul shared in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. He says to the church, who is very concerned, wondering, what is it like after, after someone dies? And he will share this. He says, we are confident. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body. Paul said, I, I would prefer that we would, would be away from this world now, because he says, when we're away from our body, we're at home with the Lord. We're at home with the Lord. Some translations say this way, they, they make it very concise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, you see this idea that's out there that, that a lot of myths have been made about within our society that spirits are wandering around on the earth. Friend, I'm going to tell you this right now. You know, you know there's some things that, that I will uh, share that I'll be pretty elusive about with you, you know, and be like, eh, you know, what, whatever, you know, if you, your viewpoint is as good as my viewpoint and I, I don't really make a big deal about it. But in this area, I'll make it very clear. If you are sitting there going, like around Halloween season, you get into the History Channel or A&E, and you see all these stories about disembodied spirits and ghosts, and, and you're sitting there going, oh, I believe that. I believe that's real. Friend, I'm going to tell you right now, you believe in mythology. You believe in urban legends, uh, maybe suburban legends, depending. You do not believe in the truth. There is no such thing as a disembodied spirit, a, a, a ghost of a human being walking the earth. Why is that? Because it's very clear, Scripture makes it very clear, that when a believer is absent from the body, then he is going to be, he or she will be present with the Lord. We can have confidence and trust knowing that when Christians leave, leave their, uh, their physical body, that their presence is safe, insecure, their spirit is safe and secure, and God is in the process of bringing them to their home in heaven. And, we can, and we'll talk about this down the road. Also, we, the other side of that, those who are far from God, they're not just left to roam the earth, okay? That is not reality there. That is not, those are, those are myths that are out there. And for you to pay attention to them and say, oh, I, I believe that's the case. So you, you, are, you are believing in myths, friends, half-truths, because we can have confidence that heaven is a real place, it is prepared for us, and we can know that God is in the process of gathering his people. But not only do we know the promise that heaven is a real place, I will say this also, heaven is being prepared for you. In the same verse we're reading, what is God doing? He is preparing his many rooms, the many rooms. This comes from a, from a Jewish tradition. See, the Jewish tradition was that when a young man, when a young man betrothed and married a woman, that this young man, this young man would, would take time, he and his father would build an addition, a wing on the family home, and that, that this room would be prepared for this new marriage. 
And, and what Jesus was using was he was using that understanding to say, hey, you're married into, if you're one of my children, you're married into my family, and my father is preparing a room for you in our home. See, the reality is God is actively preparing heaven for us. That's a pretty cool thought when you think about it, that at this, still, at this very moment, God is actively at work continuing to design and dare I say it, redesign heaven for our ultimate enjoyment. Now, for some of you who just, you know, are sticks in the mud, I think you're a stick in the mud if you say this. You sit back and go, well, I've got a problem. Why is God still preparing something that has been around for millennia? If heaven's been here for all of eternity, why is he still working on it? I don't know. I like that imagery. I don't know why that's any special. If anything, that concerns me about God's preparation, his planning abilities here. Well, you know, to you, stick in the mud, I'd say this. I would say, let's think about somewhere in our own backyard. Oh, I don't know. Bass Pro, how about? How about Bass Pro? I love Bass Pro. Because every time I go into Bass Pro, guess what? I see something different, right? Because there's something different every time. Why is that? Because Johnny Morris, in all of his glory, and all of his infinite power that he holds, he is a creative person. And he just can't let his creativity stop, can he? He's got to be working a project. Get with John sometime. John has a favorite story he'll tell you about how at the snap of a finger, Johnny gets a whole, whole wing ripped out in one of his uh, businesses to put new flowers and stuff down just because he looked at it. And he's like, I don't like it. I don't like it. And uh, he, very fascinating story. Have John tell you that sometime. I mean, why, why does he do those things? Because he is a creative person that wants to show his creativity off to everyone that comes in his customer base so that they have a special moment. So I tell you, friend, if a human being has that, capa- that, ca- that capacity and that capability to be that kind of person, how much more than the living God to be able to say, I am infinite, I have infinite creativity, I have infinite uh, capability to create something new and exciting for my people. And so I just got to believe that God, in his infinite mercy and his infinite wisdom, sits back and he looks at portions of heaven that he's loved and that people have enjoyed for eons. And he goes, wipe it out. Let's do something new here. Let's do something new because I want to have something new for my people to enjoy and to appreciate as they walk through this section of heaven. Heaven is being prepared for his people. And that brings me comfort knowing that Jesus promises this to us. And he continues on. He says in verse 3 of chapter 14 of John, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. This is a promise from Jesus. And what is the promise? That Jesus will bring us to heaven and will be with us forever. Jesus will bring us to heaven. He will be there. You know, uh, one of the best conversations I had about eternity, I had in seventh grade with my seventh grade teacher at the Lutheran school I went to in Arnold, Missouri. And, and this teacher just helped put it in perspective so much. Because as we, we were talking about eternal perspective, and we were talking about heaven, and one of the things that came out, I don't know if I said it or if one of the other uh, kids in my class said it, but, but someone said, you know, it's not that I'm scared of 
heaven, but you know, what is it going to be like from the time that I die till I get to heaven? Is that going to be a scary time? Is it going to be a painful time? Is it going to be a time where you're walking through, and this is only in the imaginations of seventh graders, right, guys? Someone said, are you going to be walking through a tunnel and there's going to be scary images all around you and demons clawing for you and spirits screaming and, you know, being drugged to hell. And, you know, this, this is the imagery of, of a seventh grade mind and saying, that's going to be scary to work our way through that, isn't it? It's going to be painful. What, are we going to feel physical pain as we're going through that process? And so me or someone said, you know, I, the idea of heaven is comforting, but getting to heaven is a little scary. And if, now, you know, think about life. How true is that? Get, getting to heaven, heaven is a comforting thing, but getting to heaven, that's a different subject. Well, my seventh grade teacher did not quote a scripture, but what he did was he shared what he knew about Jesus. And he shared with us his confidence that he had in Jesus. And he said, look, here's the reality. And, and, and the imagery he gave was so good to me. He goes, he goes realize that our path, the, the way, the approach that, that is taken to get to heaven is not a carnival ride. He goes, if, if it was a carnival ride, it'd be easy because we would do it multiple times. And he was reminding us, he's like, think of, think of the screaming eagle. This, is, this was a, a roller coaster that was around, I think it's still around, it's Six Flags in Eureka. And he's like, think of the first time you rode the screaming eagle and how scared you were, how terrified you were. But now the hundredth time you've ridden it, it's nothing, right? Because you've done it over and over and over again. And he said, he said, I, I have no doubt that there's going to be some twists and there's going to be some turns on my path to heaven. And he said, maybe, maybe that is concerning to someone who's never experienced it. But he goes, I have incredible confidence and trust knowing that Jesus will be by my side the whole time. And then he took us to this passage and he said, Jesus promises that he's going to be there with his people as they come into, into heaven. So, friend, you know, when we... Now, don't feel bad. This is not a pastoral guilt thing. You know, if you tell one of those, hey, two, you know, a priest, a rabbi, and a whatever, an atheist, go to heaven, and they are greeted by, by St. Paul. If you tell one of those jokes, don't feel bad. I certainly tell those jokes to you. I'm not putting guilt on you in that. But what I'm saying is this is we're not telling a theologically true statement. The reality is we don't just happen, wander up to heaven on our own accord, and we're greeted by an angel or by Peter or by Paul. But the reality, if you, you are a Christ follower, if you're a person that's trusted in the name of Jesus and you trust him with your life, then you can be guaranteed that Jesus will walk beside you every step of the way from this life to when we go into heaven. He will be there with you. His promise is, I am coming back. I'm coming to take you into my kingdom and I will be with you forever. And Thomas then says to him, he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how could we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the final promise that we have about heaven is this. Jesus is our means to heaven. He is, what, what am I saying? I'm saying this. I'm saying he is the path. He is the door. He is the gate. He is the key. These are all metaphors. These are all illusions that are used about Jesus in the Gospels. 
He is our total means of salvation, is what these gospel writers are trying to communicate to us today. And, and our citizenship in heaven is dependent upon the, what we have done with Jesus in our lives. So, you know, that's good news for, for most people. That's good news for people that are hurting and that are broken and that know they're broken and know that they need another means to bring, to come into heaven. It's bad news for the person who is self-sufficient, the person who believes that they can do everything on their own, with their own power, with their own authority. Because the, the scriptures and the gospels in particular make it very, very clear that self-sufficiency is not our means. Good works are not the road to heaven. Religion is never described as the gateway. Your personal piety or your personal charity is not a key that unlocks the gates of heaven for you. This is the conditional promise. Only Jesus can bring us to heaven. Remember last week I talked about that of all the promises, there are conditional promises and there are unconditional promises. The unconditional promises are the ones that, that God just makes, and no matter what you do, they're there for you. A conditional promise is, if you do this, I'll do this. And this is, everything we've been talking about today is a conditional promise. You see, the reality is, heaven is not a universal place for every person. It's just not. There are some Bible teachers out there over the years that have famously asserted that, and those people, truthfully, are heretics. They are people who've contorted and twisted the scriptures for their own gains, oftentimes if you watch long enough for their own wealth building and fame building. It's funny that a preacher that says that can get a book deal for a million dollars, but a preacher who stands on the foundation of scripture, they just, they pay no heed to, right? The truth of the matter is the promise of heaven is conditional. And the condition is what have you done with Jesus in your life? Has there come a point in your life when you recognize that Jesus is who he said he was, God in a body, who came to this earth, who died on a cross, who was buried in a tomb, who then three days later rose out of that tomb in resurrection power, and he did all of those things, not just to, be, to complete and checkmark a historical fact happening, but he did all of those things in order to pay for the sin debt that you and I have incurred uh, by, our, by, by our trespasses, by how we have broken God's commands, how we've broken God's laws in our life. He paid that debt that we owe because of our brokenness, because of our sin, because of our trespasses. That is the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and that he did it all to pay our sin debt. So the reality is heaven is in store for those people who've said, Jesus, I trust you. I trust that you're who you said I will, I, you are. I trust that you died on this earth. And I trust that you rose from the dead. And I believe that you did that to free me from my sin, to pay for my sin, to give me a new relationship with the living God, to make him my father. The only way you can claim the promise of heaven is by claiming Jesus and his gospel in your life. It's this truth that we're gathered here today. It's this truth that we celebrate. I would 
challenge you in this. In a moment, we're going to have the band come back up here. We're going to sing a song. If you are a person that you know that you trusted in Christ, and you know that you've done that, maybe it was just a week or two ago, maybe it was years and years ago that you trusted in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then I want you to do this. I want you to make this final song a celebration for you, a time in which you can rejoice saying, God, thank you for the promises of heaven. Thank you for knowing that because of Jesus, I don't have to fear death. I don't have to be afraid of what's on the great beyond, but I know that heaven is waiting for me. And for those of you who maybe you're exploring the realities that I've been exp- uh, talking about today, uh, maybe you're just checking those things out. You would not count yourself a Christ follower, whether you're in this room or you're watching us online. I would say this, I would challenge that you would allow God to speak to you, maybe even in this song that we're about to sing. And, uh, and if you so are so compelled, I would say that you could take these promises and claim these promises for yourself today simply by not being a better person not choosing to come to church more often, not choosing to give more money, not choosing to help people who who need help, but simply by calling upon the name of Jesus. The scriptures make it very clear. Another promise that we celebrate is, is that everyone, if you call upon the name of Jesus, you shall be saved. You shall be saved. You shall have eternity. You shall have heaven uh, when you die. Is the promise of scripture. So we call upon Jesus. What does that mean? Simply saying, Jesus, I'm trusting you. I trust that you are who you said you are. And I'm asking you to come into my life, forgive me my sin, and start taking control of my life. And you, at that point, trust in the commands of Jesus. Trust in the word of Jesus from that point on. That's that's the call. And I would encourage you, if you would say, I'm I'm not a Christ follower, Tony. I, I I don't know what you're talking about. I would challenge you to call on Jesus. I'd also say this, if if you're confused or if you're just exploring these ideas, man, grab Pastor Pastor Dave, Pastor John, or myself during this time or even after this service, and let's talk some more about what that looks like. if, if if, If you're left even more confused than you start out from my talk, then let's visit with you some and talk about what it means to call upon Jesus so that you can have the promises of heaven. You can have these promises in your life as well. Because I'm telling you, friends, and a lot of people in this room can attest to this, the promise of heaven brings an incredible confidence. No matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens to this body, I am confident. I am confident knowing that no one can take my citizenship in heaven away because of the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And God, thank you. Thank you for the promise of heaven. Father, thank you for sending your son to this earth to die on a cross, to shed his blood, to experience the incredible pain, knowing that when he did that, he paid for our sin. The wrath and the fury stored up because of rebellion were unleashed on Jesus' body. Thank you, God, for providing a way for us to have a pathway to you, a pathway that leads us to citizenship in heaven, a pathway that leads us to to be the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so, Lord, my prayer is that today, God, I, I described the gospel as best I could, and it was probably clunky and confusing to some. 
I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak into people's lives in ways that no preacher ever could. And that if there's anybody, whether they're in this room or they're listening, watching this stream, that would not call themselves a child of yours, oh God, may they experience, may they experience your Holy Spirit's conviction in such a powerful way that they would, they would not be able to lay their head on a pillow tonight without first calling upon you, God for salvation. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.